Welcome to the January 6, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll talk about the long-term outcomes in patients with severe aplastic anemia treated with immunosuppression and L-thrombopag. Learn more about anti-inflammatory and cytoprotective effects of factor 7A and discuss the role of IL-1 in microbiome-induced aging of hematopoietic stem cells in mice. Our first topic examines data in the blood article entitled Long-Term Outcomes in Severe Aplastic Anemia Patients Treated with Immunosuppression and L-Trombopag, a Phase II study by Bhavisha Patel from the National Institutes of Health and colleagues. Aplastic anemia is caused by T-cell-mediated destruction of hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells. Patients typically present with severe pancytopenia and a hypocellular marrow. The only curative option for severe aplastic anemia, or SAA, is a bone marrow transplant. However, this treatment is dependent on patient age, fitness, and the availability of donors. Immunosuppressive therapy, or IST, consisting of horse antithymocyte globulin and cyclosporin, remains the standard of care for older and less fit patients, and for those for whom suitable donors have not been identified. Prior studies have shown that IST results in excellent long-term outcomes in about half of SAA patients who achieve a hematologic response, while a relapse or clonal evolution to a myeloid malignancy occurs in the remaining 50%. L-thrombopag is an oral thrombopoietin receptor agonist previously shown to be effective in SAA, refractory to immunosuppression. It was approved by the FDA in 2014 for these patients based on a response rate of approximately 40%. In their 2017 paper, the authors reported improved hematologic responses in patients with SAA treated with a combination of L-thrombopag and IST, compared to a historical cohort treated with IST alone. Most patients, 80% or more, depending on the cohort, treated with L-thrombopag, achieved a hematologic response at six months. Compared to patients who received IST alone, patients who also received L-thrombopag had a more robust count recovery. In the current study, investigators aim to assess the long-term outcomes in the largest cohort of patients with SAA to date treated with IST plus L-thrombopag. The prospective Phase II study enrolled a total of 180 patients with SAA, which included the original 92 patients and 86 newly enrolled patients. Study subjects were accrued from 2012 to 2020 and divided among three treatment cohorts. Cohort 1 received L-thrombopag from day 15 to 6 months, Cohort 2 from day 1 to 3 months, and Cohort 3 from day 1 to 6 months. All patients received horse antithymocyte globulin, 40 mg per kilogram, on days 1 to 4, as well as maintenance cyclosporin from day 1 to 6 months to keep serum levels in the range of 200 to 400 nanograms per milliliter. Secondary endpoints performed on 178 subjects included overall survival, rates of relapse in patients who were responders at the 6-month mark, 
clonal evolution to a myeloid malignancy or new chromosomal abnormality, hematologic response of relapsed patients, and the effects of cyclosporin maintenance dosing on the rates of relapse. The median follow-up was four years. A historic group consisting of patients with SAA treated only with standard IST served as the comparator. The overall hematologic response rate was 81% at six months in the group treated with l and IST, compared to 67% in the historic IST group. In cohort 3, where patients received the same duration and course of IST and l the complete response rate was 44%, and overall hematologic response rate was 80%. In all three cohorts, about 50% of patients maintained their response at the last follow-up without any major adverse events. However, the results from the extended cohort showed that superior hematologic responses were not maintained after L-thrombopag discontinuation. Grade 3 to 4 adverse events attributed to L-thrombopag included elevation of ALT, AST, and total bilirubin in 12 to 18% of patients. L-thrombopag was discontinued in three cases, and the dose was reduced in one subject due to a cutaneous eruption. The authors reported a cumulative incidence of relapse of 43% at four years. A relapse rate of 56% was observed in patients who discontinued cyclosporin at six months, compared to 39% in patients who received an additional 18 months of cyclosporin maintenance. Two-thirds of the relapses occurred before two years. The median time to relapse in all patients was 280 days. Interestingly, relapse occurred at two distinct time points, shortly after six months, when the cyclosporin dose was reduced and l was discontinued, and again after two years when cyclosporin maintenance was stopped. Most of the patients who relapsed were retreated with therapeutic doses of cyclosporin plus or minus l with 74% responding to this treatment. Older age was found to be a predictor of a higher risk of relapse. A clonal evolution rate of 15% at four years was observed in all treated patients, which was not statistically different from the historic IST group. High-risk clonal evolution, that is, to a myeloid malignancy or chromosome 7 abnormality, was noted in 5.7% of patients and conferred a poorer overall survival. Neither relapse nor high-risk evolution occurred at a higher rate than was observed in the historical cohort but the median time to both events was earlier in IST plus L-thrombopag-treated patients. Overall survival at four years was 92.5% in patients receiving L-thrombopag plus IST, compared to 86% in the historical cohort. Most of the deaths were attributed to infections in the setting of neutropenia. A major limitation of the study was the use of a historical comparator group rather than a randomized two-arm trial. In an accompanying commentary, Daria Babushok from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia notes that the study findings suggest that adding L-thrombopag to upfront IST is clinically meaningful. By promoting early responses, L-thrombopag may shorten the period of severe cytopenias and reduce the risk of complications and potential need for more toxic therapies. Since responses were not maintained after L-thrombopag was discontinued, Babushok wonders whether prolonged treatment could be beneficial in initial responders, including those with partial responses at six months.
She further notes that the excess 17% of relapses in patients who discontinued cyclosporin at six months suggests recrudescence of autoimmune severe aplastic anemia as the relapse mechanism, which is in accordance with the dose-dependent effect of cyclosporin on relapse risk observed in historical NIH studies. In contrast, she proposes that the mechanisms underlying the large number of early relapses after stopping l in patients continuing cyclosporin maintenance are probably non-immunologic. Babushak concludes that additional studies are needed to develop early biomarkers of relapse, as well as safer and more effective strategies for relapse prevention. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled Factor 7A Suppresses Inflammation and Barrier Disruption Through the Release of EEVs and Transfer of MicroRNA-10A by Kaushik Das from the University of Texas Health Science Center at Tyler and colleagues. Factor 7A initiates the coagulation cascade following vascular injury by binding to tissue factor. In the clinic, Factor 7A is used to treat bleeding disorders in hemophilia patients with inhibitors, as well as bleeding associated with surgery, trauma, or intracranial hemorrhage. Previous studies have shown that Factor 7A also binds endothelial cell protein C receptor, or EPCR, which promotes protein C activation by the thrombomodulin complex thereby playing a critical role in the activated protein C-mediated anticoagulant pathway. In a recent study, DOS and collaborators showed that the factor 7A EPCR-PAR1 signaling axis induces the release of extracellular vesicles from endothelial cells, and that factor 7A-released extracellular vesicles are enriched with phosphatidylserine on their outer leaflet. The study was the first linking factor 7A, EPCR, PAR1 signaling, and specifically factor 7A-released extracellular vesicles, with hemostatic effects. To better understand the therapeutic potential of factor 7A, DOS and collaborators now investigate the mechanism of factor 7A release of endothelial-derived extracellular vesicles and their contribution to anti-inflammatory and vascular barrier protective effects using in vitro assays and in vivo murine models. Experiments revealed that the rock-dependent pathway is the major mechanism by which factor 7A releases extracellular vesicles from endothelial cells, and that they are readily taken up by monocytes, macrophages, and endothelial cells. Factor 7A was found to upregulate the expression of anti-inflammatory microRNAs, mostly microRNA-10A, in endothelial cells. In addition, factor 7A-released extracellular vesicles were enriched with microRNA-10A. The uptake of factor 7A-released endothelial-derived extracellular vesicles by monocytes conferred an anti-inflammatory phenotype to monocytes, whereas extracellular vesicle uptake by endothelial cells resulted in barrier protection. In monocytes, this anti-inflammatory phenotype resulted from downregulation of TAC1 expression and, in turn, NF-kappa-B-mediated signaling. In endothelial cells, barrier protection was induced by blocking downregulation of ZO1 expression. In in vitro experiments, 
Administration of Factor 7A released extracellular vesicles to wild-type mice led to an attenuation in the lipopolysaccharide-induced increase in the plasma levels of inflammatory cytokines, leukocyte infiltration in the lungs, and vascular leakage into vital tissues. In line with the observations from cultured endothelial cells, Factor 7A released extracellular vesicles released into the circulation were enriched with microRNA 10A and exerted anti-inflammatory and barrier-protective effects in ex vivo studies. Interestingly, the incorporation of anti-microRNA 10A into Factor 7A released endothelial extracellular vesicles diminished their ability to exert cytoprotective effects. In addition, treatment of wild-type mice with the ROC inhibitor Y27632, which inhibits factor 7A-mediated release of endothelial extracellular vesicles into the circulation, resulted in diminished cytoprotective effects. Taken together, these findings provide novel insights into the mechanism of factor 7A-induced cytoprotective effects which may be useful in exploring new therapeutic applications for factor 7A and factor 7A-released endothelial-derived extracellular vesicles, including treatment of bleeding and inflammation-associated pathologies. In an accompanying commentary, Bjarne Asterud from the University of Tromsø in Norway notes that the study by Das and colleagues provides significant new information on the role of factor 7A-released extracellular vesicles. It is also the first report to show that factor 7A communicates with various cell types through the release of extracellular vesicles. Even though the current study was limited to monocytes and endothelial cells, Osterud postulates that factor 7A-released extracellular vesicles could induce phenotypic changes in other cell types in the body. Asterud suggests that a detailed characterization of the role of factor 7A-released extracellular vesicles in hemostasis, anti-inflammation, and vascular barrier protection in patients treated with recombinant factor 7A is needed to gain a better understanding of the therapeutic potential of factor 7A. Lastly, we will review a report published in Blood entitled IL-1 Mediates Microbiome-Induced Inflammaging of Hematopoietic Stem Cells in Mice by Larisa Kovtonyok from the Comprehensive Cancer Center Zurich in Switzerland and collaborators. Aging of the hematopoietic system is characterized by functional impairment of both mature and immature hematopoietic stem cells, or HSCs, reduced self-renewal capacity increased numbers of myeloid-biased HSCs, and chronic low-grade inflammation. The process is known as hematopoietic inflammaging. Studies have identified the presence of specific inflammatory clues in HSC aging and the increased drive to myelopoiesis. These include stromal cell-derived RANTS CCL5, plasma cell-derived IL-1 and TNF-alpha, bone marrow macrophage-derived IL-1, and the WINT-WINT-5A switch. However, less is known about the upstream events that may be implicated in inflammaging. In recent years, the role of the microbiome in hematopoiesis has been the subject of increasing attention. Studies to date have shown that microbiome-derived metabolites can influence HSC function and play a role in hematopoietic inflammaging. 
Specifically, experiments in young mice demonstrated that steady-state myelopoiesis is modulated by microbiome-derived compounds via MIDE88, TICAM, and CXCR3-positive mononuclear bone marrow resident cells. In addition, aged bone marrow macrophages have been shown to exhibit higher levels of basal activation and enhanced release of IL-1-beta. In the current study, the authors sought to investigate the changes in the bone marrow microenvironment of mice during aging to identify any drivers of aging-associated functional changes in HSCs. They conducted a series of in vitro and in vivo experiments in aged and young germ-free wild-type mice, as well as aged IL-1, receptor-1, knockout, and germ-free mice to assess the differences in microbe-associated molecular patterns and inflammatory signatures. Experiments revealed that aged wild-type mice produce more myeloid bone marrow-derived IL-1 alpha and beta in steady-state bone marrow compared to young wild-type mice. In addition, upon lipopolysaccharide stimulation in vivo, aged mice showed higher and more durable IL-1 alpha and beta responses. Furthermore, the blood of steady-state aged wild-type mice contained higher levels of microbe-associated molecular patterns, including toll-like receptor ligands, TLR4 and TLR8. To investigate whether HSC aging is driven by IL-1 alpha and beta, the authors evaluated HSCs from IL-1 receptor-1 knockout mice and found significantly less pronounced inflammatory signatures in this group of animals. Additional experiments demonstrated that transplantation results in unbiased lymphomyeloid hematopoietic differentiation of HSCs from aged IL-1, receptor-1, knockout, and germ-free mice. Interestingly, in vivo pharmacologic blockade of IL-1 signaling with the human interleukin-1 receptor antagonist, Anakinra, and antibiotic suppression of the microbiota in aged wild-type mice were similarly effective in reversing the age-dependent functional impairment of HSCs. This resulted in improved myeloid skewing, restoring balanced differentiation. Taken together, these findings demonstrate that the microbiome IL-1, IL-1 receptor-1 axis is a key, self-sustaining, and therapeutically partially reversible driver of inflammation-associated aging of HSCs. In their accompanying commentary, Francesca Martini and Maria Carolina Florian from the Program for Advancing Clinical Translation of Regenerative Medicine of Catalonia in Spain note that the findings from Kovtonyuk and collaborators strongly support the role of microbiota in HSC inflammaging and directly implicate the microbiome IL-1 axis as the driver of this process. These findings may have repercussions for the development of new therapeutic approaches and improvement of available clinical protocols for various conditions. For example, Matini and Florian cite the use of allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation to ameliorate different neurological and autoimmune diseases in which the microbiota has been found altered, such as in multiple sclerosis. Potential complementary strategies include targeting the microbiota or IL-1 signaling and dietary manipulation which may help preserve intestinal function and prevent functional decline of the immune system with aging. However, they also emphasize that the processes driving intrinsic stem cell aging cannot be ignored, 
since recent studies have demonstrated that aged HSCs can be refractory to systemic rejuvenating interventions. A combined approach targeting both intrinsic and extrinsic aspects of stem cell aging is most likely to be effective in rejuvenating HSCs and preventing age-associated decline of the organism. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.